Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight. And our topic is nowhere to lay his head. You might recognize this as a phrase that Jesus says at, at one point, which is really just seems heartbreaking. It's been breaking my heart for a long time. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so uh, in a somewhat unusual way tonight for us, we're going to just really take that one scripture and look at sort of the noun phrases in there and try to see what's going on with it. Uh, there's obviously the emotional impact of it, but is there some reason he picked foxes instead of bunny rabbits or something else? You know, why, why did he say those particular things? And is there anything we can learn from looking at it in some deeper way? Hint. Yes. Uh, so if you'd like to join me on that adventure, let's uh, open with a prayer, shall we, friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for gathering us in your name. We thank you for bowing the heavens and coming down into this world to become the word made flesh. We seek you, your living presence among us, as we open the pages of your word and seek to understand your mind and your heart. Amen. Amen. Sending love to those of you who are out there online and all the wonderful people here in the room. And those of you who are on the phone and getting the audio podcast, greetings to you all. And uh, it's, it's curious to me that I've been aware of this passage for a long time, and yet until this past week, I never really thought about any layer of meaning to it other than just what's right there, uh, which is that uh, it expresses a certain homelessness or something, doesn't it, on the Lord's part, that the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then for some reason this past week, I started thinking about, well, wait, is there some way, couldn't he have said nowhere to rest his feet? Or couldn't you pick different animals or different, or, you know, just why nests? Or is there anything else that you can get out of that by looking at it? Um, now, what someone might do in a situation like this is to go study what Swedenborg says. There are various wonderful tools like newchristianbiblestudy.org and, and other online tools. There are physical concordances of Swedenborg's works and concordances of the Bible and concordances of Swedenborg's use of the Bible and so on. And so you can consult all those things. And what you might find out about a passage like this is that seemingly, just I'm just talking about this particular passage, uh, Swedenborg gets into it a few times, uh, never explains what the foxes mean, never explains what the holes are, never explains what the birds of the air are, never explains what the nests are, never explains what the head is but is totally fascinated with the phrase son of man. That he can't <laughs> let go, you know, like that is the interesting part of that passage, which to me is kind of amazing. It's like, wait, there was a fox right there, you know? He just walked right by it, and oh, there's an interesting phrase. And uh, the, the Swedenborg's works are really amazing for kind of teasing apart, like who does this, you know, to say, well, this is what son of God means, but this is what son of man means, and Jesus used these different terms, and, and so on. So we'll get into that some more later. Uh, but we're a little bit on our own. Swedenborg explains in some other passages, occasionally, 
what a fox means, and I think we can extend something in here and try to piece it together. But a lot of what I do is just to look at other scriptures to see if they give you a little clue. You know, you're familiar with what we do here by now, good friends. Uh, and to try to look back and forth and see, okay, can we get some idea of what, is, is there a deeper layer to this thing? And, and uh, why did the Lord speak the way that he spoke? I would have to also say at the outset, friends, that um, Jesus could not be called a normal conversationalist, an interlocutor, to use the official term. Uh, he was just, you know, you say something, and he says something quite different. Uh, he actually says this in response to a scribe who comes to, and says to him, Master, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus had just announced that he's going to cross the, the Sea of Galilee and go to the other side, uh, leave the Holy Land and go over to the other side. And the scribe comes up and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And there are all sorts of normal responses you could have to that, like, that's really great, or actually, we got enough people on the boat already, I'm so sorry, maybe next time, or whatever. You know, there are normal things that someone could say in response to, I will follow, you know, it's a nice sentiment, I will follow you wherever you go. Isn't that sort of an ideal, like, great, or something, you know? And what he says is, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Period. End of the exchange. You know, it's just odd. You know, it's just an odd thing to say at that particular moment. And yet it's haunting, isn't it? And so for the rest of, you know, thousands of years, people have wondered, what? And I think that's why it gets written down, because people thought, what did he mean? You know, I mean, I get the, I get something about it, but still, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And then he says, I have nowhere to sleep or something. What's the impact of the statement, you know? Uh, why does he say that right there? And then Scripture <coughs> captures it as this one little exchange. What is, what is going on? Uh, another thing I think I'll say at the very beginning here is just that I want to talk a little bit about Swedenborg's idea of correspondences. And I just want to say, I, I didn't choose these correspondences, uh, you know, this was just a system that was handed to me. Uh, you know, foxes are kind of cute or whatever. Uh, but uh, this, this scripture doesn't have a good view of foxes, actually, I don't think. And uh, so I'm just saying, you know, uh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just the reporter. Um, <laughs> so, okay, foxes have holes. So when we look at this one verse, we have six kind of noun phrases or nouns. And these are the things I'm particularly interested in tonight. The foxes, the holes, the birds of the air, the nests, the son of man, and the head. Those are the six elements, right? And so foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Okay, so why don't we look at some passages about foxes and try to get some sense of what foxes, what foxes mean. And maybe I'll just introduce a little little bit here of that, um, you know, when I see a fox, I think it's sort of a rare event. It's kind of cool, like, oh, cool, there's a fox or something. I know people who own chickens, and uh, people who own chickens don't love foxes. Uh, a fox will go in. Now, you think of animals as just, you know, they, they'll kill for food or whatever, but not a fox. A fox will go into a hen house if there are 35 chickens in there, It'll kill one chicken that it will eat, 
and then it'll bite the heads off all the rest just because. It'll wipe out the entire, you know, your entire chicken population. Raccoons, I'm told, will do the same thing. Uh, so I think it figures into the meaning here. You know, there's a, there's a, and, and foxes are not like a grizzly bear or a rhinoceros or something, you know. They're sneaky. They're the only member of the dog family that has what's called a direct register where you put the hind paw in the very spot that the front paw went in, which is super sneaky. That's what cats do, uh, but especially feral cats but, but, and the big cats and stuff. But it's very, like it's a stalking move, you know. So it's, it's not something like a hippopotamus, you know. It's, uh, it's a sneaky thing, sneaking up on you, uh, and, uh, but predatory. And, and nasty. So why would Jesus talk about foxes in this particular exchange? Let's look at some fox passages, shall we? Why don't we start at the, uh, and by nature, we're going to have to jump around a lot tonight to get these different meanings. But let's go to Judges. So Judgua, Judges is right after Joshua, which is after the five books of Moses. I want to go to Judges chapter 15, because there's that story of Samson and the foxes. We'll just read that briefly, but look at 15 verses 3 to 5. And Samson said to them, this time I, sh I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. He's been having this kind of adversarial relationship with the <laughs> Philistines and, and what does he do? Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes and he took torches turned the fox's tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. Hmm. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Oh, okay. Now, I don't know what all those things mean, but vineyards and olives are very positive images most of the time in Scripture. Uh, and so the fact that foxes were used to burn up those very positive things at least means that foxes have a negative image. And the fire image is also, Swedenborg divides the whole world into sort of a world of emotion and a world of thought. Uh, and foxes would be on the emotional side, like the fire is, is more about the emotion. Uh, so foxes have something to do about some, with some negative emotion and he did this kind of symbolic act of sending the and real act of sending these three how you catch 300 foxes and get them to just sit there until you tie their tails together or something <laughs> I, I don't know how he managed to do that but uh, apparently working alone but uh, he, he set them going those amazing tails that foxes have and so he uh, sets them and they burn everything all the corn and the shock of the Philistines now Philistines Swedenborg says, mean people who are in faith that's separate from charity. They, they think it's all about your doctrine or your beliefs, not about being a good person or the way you live your life. And so these foxes have burned down all these good things that the Philistines had. Okay. All right. Let's, let's think about that. Let's turn to the right and go through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles to Nehemiah. It's right after Ezra. Not a place we go all that often. Let's go to Nehemiah 4, verse 
Okay, let's read these first three verses. Uh, the children of Israel are rebuilding a wall. We did a whole series for a while there about the breaches in the wall, didn't we? And, and they're rebuilding the wall. And listen to this. First three verses. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. The Jews were the ones who were rebuilding the wall. Go on. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will hmm. they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Hmm. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Interesting imagery, interesting little passage that their wall is going to be so flimsy. I don't think foxes weigh a whole lot. It's a light little creature, light-footed and everything. If you put a fox on it, the whole wall is going to collapse. Um, yeah, okay, I'll, 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 say, I'll save the thought. But just remember that there was a wall in there, which is interesting. We're mainly just looking at foxes, holes, birds of the air, nests, son of man, and head. But I noticed that wall in there, that there's that image of a fox on the wall, and the wall crumbles down. And we had an image of foxes going out into the vineyards and the olives and so on and burning, burning everything. Okay, uh, let's go to oh, another somewhat obscure work, Lamentations. So you go to the right through Isaiah and Jeremiah. Right after Jeremiah, you get the lovely upbeat Lamentations. And um, we want to go to chapter 5 at the end there. And look at verses 15 to 18. The joy, of our uh, the joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. Okay, and you notice that in verse 16, it says that we've sinned. This is why our joy is gone. This is why we're not dancing. This is why the crown has fallen from our head. We have sinned, it says. That's the context, right? And therefore, our heart is faint, which would be your love. Our eyes are dim, which would be the understanding. And what does it say in verse 18? Because of Mount Zion, which is desolate, with foxes walking about on it. Okay, so Zion, which is supposed to be this glorious mountain, the center of everything <coughs> religious, has foxes walking on it. That's, that's bad. That's a bad thing. And it has something that we send, and now there are foxes running. You know, all these images are similar. The way, like part of what fascinates me, good friends, as I hope you've heard me say before, is that... You know, did Nehemiah ever meet, you know, Jeremiah, author of Lamentations, or, or, you know, like all these different authors over a period that actually extends to some thousands of years uh, seem to be using foxes in similar ways. There's something destructive about these foxes, and it's particularly in a context of something having to do with religious life falling apart 
then in come the foxes. Like Zion, there'll be foxes on Mount Zion. There'll be foxes going through the olives and the grapevines that has to do with, with love and truth and, uh, you know. So uh, let's turn to the right, right there is Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel 13. Three to five. Mm. Thus mm. says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Oh, they've seen nothing. They have no vision. They haven't seen anything. They're foolish prophets who just follow their own spirit. Okay? O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. Interesting. So your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. Okay, deserts always a bad image in Scripture, or at least, you know, it means a deprivation of truth and love. Uh, good things can happen out there in the wilderness, but your prophets are like foxes in the desert. It's a very bad, very negative thing. Let's read verse 5. You have not gone up into the gaps to fill a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. <coughs> Did I just hear another wall in there? Is this another fox wall passage? That's weird. What are walls doing hanging around with foxes? Do they really have that much to do with each other? Wow. Interesting. Not gone into the bat, made the wall to stand in battle in the day of the Lord. Your prophets are like foxes in the desert, in the wilderness. Hmm. Okay. Good. Good, good. Glad to know that. And uh, let's look at Luke in the New Testament, the third of the Gospels. Luke 13. I just love this, this passage. Uh, let's pick up at verse 31, where Herod sends a kind of warning shot across Jesus' bow, or tries to. On that very day, some Pharisees came, saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Yes, you've got, here's a big warning. <laughs> you've got to get out of here, because Herod wants to kill you. And what does Jesus say? And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast <laughs> out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Yes, and look at verse 33. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Now, did we just read fox and prophet in two verses? That's interesting, too. That means your prophets are foxes in the wilderness. And then Herod sends a message. He says, uh, through these other people saying, get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus, <laughs> it doesn't seem sort of, it's not the response you'd expect. He says, go tell that fox, if you want to know my game plan, I'm happy to discuss my schedule with you. I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I'll be perfected. And then he explains that that perfection will happen when he perishes in Jerusalem with the crucifixion, because it cannot be, that, and he refers to it as today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perishes outside of Jerusalem, and he calls him a fox for wanting to, to kill him. Okay, now what I piece together from what uh, Swedenborg says, and in some ways, Swedenborg's system is so nice and easy, you really only have four answers to anything. Good, 
truth, evil, or falsity. So which one do you think the fox is? I think the fox is evil, right? <laughs> it's not good. Uh, and it's on the side of the heart because it's an animal. Sweden, to Swedenborg, the, the animals have to do with the side of the heart or love or the perversion of love, and birds have to do with truth or the mind, the understanding, and so forth. And so foxes, so he says foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. So, oh, he's got an animal and he's got a bird there. Uh, so he's doing something with this. And the foxes uh, would be some kind of love of evil. And in particular, just judging by what foxes are, it would be kind of a crafty, you know, rather than sort of brute force evil, you know, your lion or your tiger or your, you know, the brute force d destructive evil. This is sneaky predatory kind of evil, right? And killing just because, you know, you put yourself in the fox's point of view. The fox is just thinking, you think I'm going to sit here with a whole bunch of flightless birds who do nothing but lay eggs and please their masters and they're so good to eat and they clean up everything, they do kitchen scraps and all that kind of stuff. You think I'm just going to sit here and let that go on? No. We're going to put an end to this. You know, kill them all. That's the way the fox is thinking about it, I think. So a fox is, a, is, is an, but always works by night, you know, uh, sneaking around at night and, and doing these sneaky evil things. We, we know that about foxes, right? Uh, so why would the Lord say foxes have holes? Well, maybe we need to look at what the holes are. Okay. Okay, let's do holes, shall we? Uh, let's go back to the middle of your Bible to Isaiah. Obviously, this hole is a hole that a fox lives in, and foxes do live in, as luck would have it, fox holes. Uh, Isaiah 2, verse 19, about people, proud people. The context in verse 17 is that proud people will be made low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And what will people do in verse 19? They shall go into the holes of the rocks ah. and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Okay, so there's a picture of the Lord in his might and the hole is where you go to hide from the Lord. Makes sense. I mean, the Lord being like the sun or something and, and that you would hide down there in the holes of the rocks and the caves of the earth. Good, good. Let's look at Isaiah 42. 42, verses 21 and 22. What do we see there? The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. But. But this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes and they are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey, and no one delivers. For plunder, and no one says, restore. Interesting. So these people are all hiding in holes and prison houses, and they themselves are prey. That's sort of a reversal on the usual fox thing. Let's look at Jeremiah, which comes up next as you go to the right. Jeremiah 16. For some reason, I find this activity delightful. Jeremiah 16, verses 16 and 17. 
huh, the Lord has just been talking about enemies of the children of Israel, and he's going to drive them out. And what does he say in verse 16 there? 16, 16. Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. Okay, so I think the hole is a place where people want to hide their iniquity, you know, spiritually speaking. But the Lord can see through it. He knows where they are, and he'll send fishers and hunters to get them out of there. So, so that hole is a place to hide iniquity, I think. Wouldn't you say? Uh, let's go to Ezekiel 8. So turn to the right. It's the next prophet that comes up. Ezekiel chapter 8. Uh, let's read verses 6 to 10. This is a strange command that the Lord gives to the prophet. Hey, and listen to what he calls the prophet. Drum roll, please. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man. Son of man. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Son of man. He calls the prophet a son of man. Okay, file that away in your capable brains, good friends. Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here mm. to make me go far away from my sanctuary? Now turn again. You will see greater abominations. Oh, where did you take them? So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. In the what? In the wall. In the wall. So, look, I'm seriously just trying to get foxes and holes. I'm really not trying to read about walls tonight. Why do walls keep coming up? So, uh, there's a hole in the wall. Okay, go on. Then he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. Oh. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. Mm. So I went in and saw, and there every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. Okay, I think we can stop there. But the, what an amazing vision. He has this amazing vision of going into a hole in the wall. Now, a wall is a, quite a normal thing for a hole to appear in. But interesting that that hole is concealing all this evil, all these abominations and, and wicked things that are going on in there. You see what I mean? You get the sort of feeling of what a hole is. Let's do one more like this. Uh, after Daniel, if you keep going to the right, you get. we want to go to Micah. So it's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. It's about halfway through those minor prophets. If you get to things starting with a Z, you've gone too far. Micah chapter 7. Uh, okay, this is again talking about the Lord and he's going to judge the nations. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. Yes, ooh. Mm. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. Okay, so again, isn't that hole some place for hiding? 
you may remember, we're not looking at it here, but in the book of Revelation, people say they hide in the holes of the rocks, you know, from the, uh, the face of the one who sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. Uh, so a hole is a place to hide from the presence of God. It's a place of iniquity and wickedness that you don't want people to see. So the Lord didn't say dens or some other, you know, he said holes. Foxes have holes. Hmm. Okay. How about those birds? How about those birds? Let's go back in the Old Testament to 2 Samuel. So that comes after the five books of Moses and then Joshua and Judges. Go to 2 Samuel, about a quarter of the way through the book. Look at 21. Man, I just thought of this right before Bible study and quickly looked up the reference. Didn't have it on my list before because there was a strange event where these seven, seven people were of the Israelites were all killed. And uh, let's read verses 9 and 10. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. These were these seven people. So they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. Mm -hmm. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock, from the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. So this was a long time she was out there, you know, from the beginning of the harvest until that late rain. And what did she do? And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. Okay, so you have these seven corpses there, and she stays out there for months, keeping the birds of the air and the beasts of the field off of the corpses. And it's this amazing act. You know, David hears about what she's done. That's so so amazing what, what she's done by protecting these corpses like that. So... Now, birds of the air, foxes in Scripture are universally bad. Birds of the air are often a good, you know, there's good like the, the birds of the air come and nest in its branches and things like that in, in New Testament parables about the mustard seed and so on. But there's also negative, obviously this is a negative image here. These are birds of carrion. It seems, you know, they want to come down and eat the corpses and she's trying to keep those birds of the air off of it. There were a few birds like the pigeons and the turtle doves that were positive, that were sacrificial animals. Uh, and then the birds of the air were just like any kind of thing. And often they could just be these birds of, of uh, you know, carrion, scavengers and so on uh, that, are, that are taken off. So foxes have holes in the birds of the air. Okay, uh, let's go to 1 Kings. So turn to the right, it comes right up there. 1 Kings 14. Uh, verse 11. There's sort of a refrain that comes up when you read First Kings. Uh, the, verse 11. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. Yeah. There you go. It's a nice arrangement. So if you die in the city, the dogs will eat you. If you die in the field, the birds of the air will come and eat you. So again... These birds of the air, some of the birds of the air, are these scavenging animals looking for, for dead, you know, rotting flesh or whatever. And that's uh, what we're dealing with here. And that phrase comes up a number of times. Let's go to uh, Job, actually. So you go through the First and Second Chronicles, 
Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. You get to Job there before the Psalms. Job 12, verse 7. This is a different kind of reference, but I think it has some bearing on what we're talking about here. Uh, 12, verse 7. But now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you. Yeah, that's right. And then let's read verse 8 as well. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you. Okay, so the, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea are related to each other, but it seems like the birds of the air are more internal, fish of the sea are more external, and the uh, beasts, as opposed to the earth, they do this, this teaching. Uh, so the birds of the air have something to do with teaching, thought, so on, uh, but in a negative, this is a positive context, in that negative context where they're eating corpses and so on, they have to do with really malignant falsities, I think, you know, bad teachings, right? They're bad. The birds of the air and the fox, I always thought they were so cute, but, but they seem to be bad. Uh, let's go to the right and go through, uh, I want to get to Hosea, okay? So you've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then Hosea comes right up there, the first of the minor prophets. Chapter 7, thank you for flipping back and forth. Hope you aren't getting paper cuts. Uh, 7 verses 11 and 12. Now Ephraim is a, uh, uh, it means the northern kingdom of Israel and it's often about the intellect and specifically about the understanding of scripture. And uh, look at verses 11 and 12. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without sense. Huh. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. Yeah, bad places to go. So <coughs> Ephraim, so this understanding of Scripture is like a silly dove without sense, and they, oh, they want to go to Egypt, they want to go to Assyria, anywhere, find information. Wherever they go, I will spread my net on them. I will bring them down like birds of the air. I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. Okay, so these silly, again, birds of the air there is a negative term, wouldn't you say? And that the Lord is going to chastise them. And Ephraim's like this silly dove, all right? Uh, let's go to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke again. Luke chapter 8. Hmm, what could possibly be here? 8 verse 5, Jesus told a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Ah, negative image. Birds of the air. There's not cor cor corpses, carcasses this time, but the birds of the air are coming down and eating this seed. And it expressly says that the seed means the word, right? When, the, when Jesus explains this parable, he says the seed is an image of the word. So these birds are something that takes away this understanding of this, the word before it even gets going. And look at Acts. So turn to the right through John and you'll get to Acts. Look at Acts chapter 10. I want to read about Peter's vision here in verses 9 to 14 because I think this is very instructive too. The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. 
Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. Six hour was right at midday.、Mm-hmm. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Oh, he was in a trance. And saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. Oh, and what was in it? In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. Birds of the air. Okay, there's 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 wild there's beasts of the earth. There's wild beasts, creeping things. We saw some creeping things before tonight too, didn't we? And there are birds of the air. And then what did he hear? And a voice came to him, "Rise, Peter, kill and eat." But Peter said, "Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean." Ah, these birds of the air are unclean. They're unclean. These are not sacrificial animals that you are, you know, or, or birds. These were unclean. What the birds of the air that are in this vision, along with the creeping things and the wild beasts, they're unclean, and Peter doesn't want to eat them. Okay, so the birds of the air. I I always pictured something nice, little Tweety bird or something, but no. This is、uh, the, these are kind of scavengered, sort of mangy-looking birds <laughs> that want to, you know, eat flesh and so on. It seems like they're unclean. So, what is the nest? All right, let's go back to Proverbs. This won't take long, I don't think. So, you go to the middle of your book. There's Psalms, and turn to the right. You get to Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs twenty-seven. Yeah, this is sort of an obvious kind of statement. Don't know if it really warrants our attention tonight, but let's look at twenty-seven, verse eight. We're trying to find out about nests now. Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. Okay, a little proverb there. Kind of makes yes. Okay, I get it. Nest is like where you belong, or something like that. And so, someone who wanders from his place is like a bird. Wandering from a nest, so it just makes that equivalent there. Okay, good. Let's turn to the right and go to Isaiah thirty-four. Now, a few different sort of things that we want to read here, but thirty-four.、Uh, let's look at verses eight to ten to begin with here. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Its streams shall be turned into pitch, and its dust into brimstone. There's dust we have for the second time tonight. Okay. Its land shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever, from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. Wow! This is what's going to happen to Zion. <laughs> All these bad, destructive things. Okay, and then you read there that various different birds. Let's look at verse eleven. Charming the, list there. But the pelican and the porcupine shall possess it. Also, the owl and the and the raven shall dwell in it. Okay, and let's look at verses thirteen to fifteen down there. And thorns shall come up in its palaces, nettles and brambles in its fortresses. It shall be a habitation of jackals, a courtyard for ostriches. The wild beasts of the de- desert shall also meet with the jackals, and the wild goat shall bleat to its companion. 
Also the night creature shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. There the arrow snake shall make her nest. Her nest. And lay eggs and hatch and gather them under her shadow. There also shall the hawks be gathered, every one with her mate. Okay, these are all the bad things that are going to happen in Zion, like it's just going to be taken over by these wild birds, wild animals, and so on, mostly birds in here. And, uh, and this uh, arrow snake is going to make her nest in there and lay eggs and hatch them, and they'll gather under her shadow. Sort of the opposite of what Jesus says in Matthew 23, that I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her brood on her wings, and you would not. It's sort of the opposite of that, right? And then look at verse 16. What does that talk about? Search from the book of the Lord and read. What? The next thing it talks about is the book of the Lord. Right after talking about these nests and these wild birds, and all, it's the book of the Lord. Okay, let's think about that a little bit. And, um, oh, turn to the right to Jeremiah. Let's go to 49... Getting there, friends. We're getting there. 49. 15 to 16. Mm. So this is about proud people, and the Lord will bring them down. For indeed, I will make you small among nations, despised among men. Your fierceness has deceived you. The pride of your heart... O you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as the eagle, I will bring you down from there, says the Lord. Interesting. So this nest seems to be a kind of pride, doesn't it? An image of pride. Uh, the, 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 the Lord is going to reduce this pride that this eagle lives on. Okay. And uh, actually, that's it for our nests. Okay, so some idea of nests being, being pride and obviously the place where these birds, these scavengers, live. Um, how about the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man is an interesting phrase. Uh, Swedenborg points out in an amazing way, particularly in this little book called The Doctrine of the Lord or just The Lord, uh, that... When the Son of Man comes up, it's always used of certain things. We saw it with Ezekiel as an Old Testament prophet, Son of Man. It's used, the Lord uses it of himself when talking about his own crucifixion. The Son of Man, you know, like people will come up again, strange conversationalists. People will come up and ask him a question uh, and he'll say, well, the Son of Man, blah, 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 you know, as if it's not him or, or something. He'll say the Son of Man. And he talks about that the Son of Man is going to undergo the crucifixion. We'll look at passages about these. The Son of Man will execute the judgment. He'll be the source of regeneration and salvation and so on. And he, it, the Son of Man is who is going to come in the second coming. So let's just look at four passages about that. Try to limit myself. Go to the Gospel of Mark, which is after Matthew in the New Testament. Mark chapter 10. Just a sample. You are very familiar with these. But 33 and 34, Jesus began telling the twelve what was about to happen. And what did he say? 
Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. And look at the end of verse 32. It says very clearly, he began to tell them what things would happen to him. Like he was talking about himself, but he's talking about himself in the third person as the Son of Man with all these crucifixion things. The Son of Man is the one who is going to go through the crucifixion. And it's very interesting and meaningful that it's not the Son of God. It's the Son of Man. It's the, the human part that, that gets crucified, not the divine part. But there's more to it than that. Uh, how about the judgment? Let's turn to the left and go back to Matthew 25. Comes up pretty quickly there. Uh, look at verses 31 to 33. Jesus' prediction of what's going to happen at the end of times. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand but the goats on the left. So the point for our discourse this evening is that the Son of Man is the part that uh, when it's about judgment, he says Son of Man. He doesn't say me. He says the Son of Man is going to do this judging. Uh, how about salvation? Let's look at Luke. So turn to the right. Go to Luke 19, verse 10. And a, uh, 9 and 10, I'm sorry. This is when Zacchaeus says he's going to restore everything fourfold and he's sorry about all the bad things that he's done uh, because the Lord comes to dine with him. And then this is what Jesus says in verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't say, I came. He says, the Son of Man came. You know, he uses this term about salvation. So he uses about <coughs> crucifixion, about the judgment, about salvation, and the advent back to Matthew 24, sort of out of order, the 25 where we were before, but 24 verse uh, 30, about the end of times again. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Yeah, so twice the Son of Man in that verse. That what's the second coming? It's the Son of Man who's coming back. Uh, it, it, it's, it's very important. And finally, let's just read four scriptures about heads, and then we'll really be able to dig into this. Right, friends? So if you turn to the middle of your Bible again, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 35. Let's read a few. What would he mean? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Um, 35 verse 10. And this he, is about a good positive future that's going to come. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy on their heads. On their heads. Joy, not joy in their hearts, joy on their heads. Everlasting joy on their heads. Go on. 
They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Okay, interesting. Okay, turn to the right and go through Jeremiah to Ezekiel. Let's look at Ezekiel 9. Dear and patient friends, verse 10. This is a phrase that you hear a lot, don't you, in the Bible? And as for me also, my eye will neither spare nor will I have pity, says God, but I will recompense their deeds on their own head. Where your deeds get recompensed <laughs> is your head, not your hands, not some other party, not your heart and lungs or something. It's your head that your deeds will be recompensed on. That phrase comes up a lot in Scripture. Look at Ezekiel 16. Verse uh, 43, very similar. Because you did not remember the days of your youth, but agitated me with all these things, <laughs> surely I will also recompense your deeds on your own heads, there, says the there, Lord God. That's right. And you shall not commit this lewdness above all your abominations. Yes, I'll recompense your way on your head. Okay, and one more. Let's just go to, oh, this will actually be turning to the left Let's go back to Job. So you go to the left through the Psalms. Get out to Job. Let's look at 16, verses 15 and 16. Don't know how those got out of order. I have sewn sackcloth over my skin and laid my head in the dust. Mm. My face is flushed from weeping and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Okay, laying your head in the dust is this image of kind of despair or, or something, you know. Laying the head uh, in the dust is a particularly dramatic sort of image there. Okay, all right. So what do we have here? Well, uh, and turn with me, if you will, friends, just back to Matthew 8 where we started. I want to look at that again, 8, verse 20. Um, so I think the foxes are a sort of particularly crafty, sneaky, sneaky, crafty, sneaky form of love of evil. Sort of a predatory but sneaky, crafty form of evil. And the hole is some place where you hide from the Lord. You don't want, you know, it's, it's, it's some place of hell where, where you want to hide. You don't want your deeds known. Foxes have holes. The birds of the air, which in this case seem to be these scavengers, these negative birds, they have nests, and nests particularly seem to mean pride, birds having something to do with false thoughts, uh, negative thoughts uh, that live in kind of a, what Swedenborg might call a pride of self-intelligence. Uh, you know, I think that's what the birds of the air and the nests are. But, so the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man... The Son of Man means particularly the Lord, Swedenborg explains. Son uh, has to do with truth, not actually particularly because males have some special relationship to truth because Father means love, but because Father means love, Son means truth, the truth that comes from love. So Son of Man has to do with the divine truth, and that takes this particular form of the Word. The Son of Man means the Lord in His role as the Word made flesh, the divine truth that came into this world, his divine human manifestation. His human, his divine human manifestation is 
what could suffer the crucifixion. The divine in and of itself could not possibly go through that. That's why the Son of Man goes through the crucifixion. That's why the Son of Man, the, the Word is what judges. The Lord says, I judge no one. The, the Word is what will judge people. It's the Word, it's the Lord in His role as that divine truth that comes from love. That's what will do the judging. It's the Lord in His role as the Word is going to come in the clouds of Scripture in the second advent because uh, the clouds mean the literal sense of Scripture. He'll come with you know, glory and power because that means the inner meaning of Scripture that the Lord will be seen because He's coming in the Word. All these references to, and, and the Word is what helps us regenerate. That's why the Son of Man is said to do the salvation and so on. So the Son of Man that has to do with this divine truth of the Word, the Lord as the Word made flesh, divine truth that comes from divine love, has nowhere to lay the top part of himself. Didn't say his feet, but the head. Now the head of the Word, what would the head of the Word be? The feet of the Word would be its literal meaning, wouldn't it? And by the way, what's another image for the literal sense of Scripture? Oh, the wall. The wall repeatedly in the Bible means the literal sense of Scripture. That's why the New Jerusalem is described as to its wall and the wall is full of precious stones. Those are about the truths that are in the literal sense of Scripture. And inside you have all this wonderful stuff. Uh, so the wall is that outside of Scripture. And might that be why foxes and prophets, prophets have to do with the word. That's why Ezekiel is called the son of man. So why you have prophets and foxes, your prophets are foxes. Why prophets and foxes are hanging around together. See, the, the Word is just an unusual book in that so much the Word is about the Word. The Word is about itself. This story, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, is about the Word. It's about the head of the Word which is the spiritual meaning. It's the power and glory. It's the Lord's love for the salvation of the whole human race that doesn't show up out on the surface of it, but it's the head of it. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, let's read. I know I went through that too quickly. Let's look at chapter 8 again in Matthew and read this context of the story. Let's read this again. What does it say? Where eight, are we verses starting? 18 to 20 in Matthew. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Ah, and the other side was, so th this side was in the Holy Land. The other side is where you have the foreigners over, the, you know, it's, it's not Jewish people over there. Uh, but he said a command to go to the other side. And who came to him? Then a certain scribe came. Oh, a scribe came. And said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Which was kind of remarkable. Because if you hung around with people who were not of your religion, you would be ceremonially unclean. You're not allowed to eat until you wash or do special things and so on. So it's quite amazing that the scribe... And what were the scribes like? Why are they called scribes? They could read and write. They're called scribes because not many people... It was very low literacy rate. But they could read and write. And they were experts in what? The, the Hebrew Scriptures. They were experts in the literal sense of Scripture. Interesting that it's a scribe who the Lord is talking to in this passage and mentions the Son of Man. 
It's just interesting, you know? And so a scribe says to him, I will follow you wherever you, I will follow you to the back half of hell. I'll follow you right out of the Holy Land. I'll go right over to the other side with you. And the Lord says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, what was he talking about? He's talking to a scribe. I think what he's talking about is that there's a way of approaching the literal sense of Scripture where you have a fox hidden. you got a fox in a hole in there. Isn't it true, haven't we seen examples in our own times, friends, of people being able to use the things of religion in order to abuse other people? Predatory, right? Isn't it possible to have predatory behavior in the name of religion or whatever? There's a fox. It's hiding. It doesn't want to be seen, but it'll come out at night and kill you know, all the nice chickens and stuff. Isn't it possible that, okay, yeah, you're an expert in the literal sense, but there can be a fox hiding in there. In other words, in your reading of Scripture, he says in the gentlest way possible to the scribe, it's possible that you have a fox living in your interest in Scripture. You're interested in something evil or lording it over people or something like that. You have a fox and you, and you have a hole for that fox. Like you have a, a hellish place in your heart that is happy to have that fox in there, hasn't kicked that fox out of there. And you can have birds of the air. You can have these scavenger birds, these, these thought, false teaching, bad understanding of what's going on uh, that has a, a prideful nest in there. Uh, but it is still possible that me, says the Lord, as the word with my head, with that innermost part of the word, I can't get in there. I have nowhere to lie in your particular way of approaching Scripture because it's full of foxes and birds of the air. In all those passages we read, wasn't he warning again and again that this could happen to the religion? Mount Zion will have foxes. Its prophets will be foxes. Didn't he warn that this can happen if you're just looking at the outside of Scripture but there's no way for that inner sense of what's really going on inside the scripture. That has no place to rest. Uh, the son of man, the, the word made flesh, has nowhere to lay his head, meaning that innermost part of the word. And so part of what's fascinating about this to me is that the scribe says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus responds to him in correspondences. The Lord was always speaking in correspondences. This is what makes him a strange conversationalist because he doesn't say that's a nice offer or something. He starts talking about foxes and holes and birds and so on. And I think what he's gently trying to suggest is I could help you with your understanding of Scripture. If you really want to follow me wherever I go, who cares what side of the lake we're on? I'm interested in how you read. What's written on the law and how do you read, he says in Luke 10. Uh, are you getting the deeper layer of this? Do you see the love for the whole human race that's in here? Because that predatory attitude, uh, who knows you know, whether the scribe had that or not. Scribe seems fine on the surface of it. But the Lord says, 
because he can see what's in the, in the heart. He says, even though you hide in your hole, I can still see it. I'm going to get you out of there. And what he means is a loving thing. It sounds like judgment, but the love is, I can help you with your fox problem. You don't realize it because they're sneaky, but you, you have foxes living in holes in, in your relationship with Scripture. You have birds of the air that are sort of waiting for something to die and pounce on it, and they have some nest in this pride that's in you, and I could really help you. I could really help you if you would, if you would let me. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So how can we... Uh, be somewhere for the Lord to lay his head. One thing is to open up, as I hope we have done tonight. Um, aren't we trying to look at the Son of Man's head? Why did you say foxes? Why did you say holes? Not just the outside of it. The outside of it is totally heartbreaking and is plenty all by itself. And I think part of the way that this is supposed to function is it's not simply like a little puzzle and you cut it into pieces and then this equals that and that equals that and that equals that. No, reassemble it and put it back because the Lord spoke in that form because that outside has so much power. You know, it's like, wow, really cheesy, awful ways of reading Scripture are absolutely welcome and celebrated, you know. But my love, my desire to save the human race... Uh, is not finding a home. I, I, don't, I don't find a place to, to uh, rest my, my head in this way of reading Scripture. The whole point of it, of that divine love and compassion and truth, is not finding a place to lay what is inmost and, and uh, uh, most in, interior in there. What's driving the whole thing is not coming across. Uh, so I don't know how I'm doing, good friends, but... Um, in summary, if you put it all together and you wrap it back up into those words and you think about not just the intellectual content of it and the spiritual content, but also the emotional power of that, whew, you know, the Lord having nowhere. He has a good head. It's a nice head. You would like to have that head, you know, resting there. Uh, the fact that he has to say, I don't have anywhere to put my heart and my mind. So glad you say you want to follow me anywhere, but why are you doing that? What do you have in your heart? What are you looking for by following me over to the other side of the, of the sea and everything? And I want to say something to you that you may not understand, but I have to speak in correspondences because it's the most powerful way. That's what connects us with heaven. And people will be thinking about this for thousands of years. But I'm saying uh, this is how I see it. If you really peel all the layers back, I think, who knows, you can never peel all the layers back. But I think, in effect, good friends, and this will be my concluding thought, that the scribe says to the Lord, I want to go with you wherever you go. And the Lord, in effect, in his correspondences, in his imagery, is saying, I was hoping to stay with you. That's what I was hoping. Thank you, good friends. Shall we close with a prayer? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
We thank you for being the word, taking on that lonely path of not being understood, not being accepted, even being rejected, even being crucified, uh, because you embodied the word. Please help us, Lord, to open our hearts and minds to you so that you have a place to rest in us. Teach us what it is to be open to the, not only the clouds of heaven, but the power and great glory in which you are already present in your word and seeking to come. It is the Son of Man who is coming again. It is you in your role as the word, as that truth. And Lord, we celebrate those levels of your word, the amazing imagery, all the depth in it, and how the prophets and the writers over thousands of years were using the same symbolism because they were speaking a message from your heart to ours. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. Maybe we can understand what he's talking about.